our next level chef, Piet. I am the next level chef. Hey, welcome back to Too Hard Too Fast, the podcast where we try to broaden perspectives all while going off the rails. In this episode, man, back to back. Um, okay, I took a break, a week break, but let's call it back to back. Back to back, we have next level chefs, and not just any next next level chef. We have the champ. The champ is here. The champ is here. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> do you watch wrestling? <laughs> Is it like the does it? Yeah. Does it? It just hit me right there. The chef champ. All right, that's it. I'm calling you the chef champ. There you go. And, I, and my my Spanish, my Mexican accent might come out half the time. I call you the. I might that's say chef, and I might say chef. We'll see how it goes. Okay, your show, your words. <laughs> hey, feel free to be comfortable. Make fun of me. I will. Don't worry about it. Ah, oh, damn it! I knew you were already planning it. <laughs> All right, so we have Chef Piet, the first next level sh- champ. See, it almost came out. Champ, chef, chef, champ. Mm-hmm. From uh, Next Level Chef. And yeah. I'm excited. This is awesome. Uh, I'm nervous. I just told her why I'm a little nervous because this is the first time we're actually talking, talking. But it's going to be fun. So sit back, buckle up. Let's go too hard, too fast. Boom. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. Welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast. Anything that rolls downhill, man. I mean, old habits die hard, right? It's the podcast by the people for the people. Well, I'm going too hard, too fast. Well, we are double fisted on that ass. <laughs> Only here, too hard, too fast. Let's do it. It's your girl, Chef Piet, with Too Hard, Too Fast, where I'm going to be spilling the tea. Let's go. Vamos. Vamos. So welcome everyone to Too Hard Too Fast podcast. <laughs> right, where we go off the rails, and George has to worry about it. So <laughs> here we go for the podcast of the century. Cheers. <laughs> so, Piet, I I'm not gonna go into a lot of the show stuff. I want to do get like your. I want to talk about the your like your experience building up. But not really like ask you like, oh, look what happened in episode six and what happened in episode six. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that because I feel like everybody's already listened. And if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it because it's it really is like a, a whole new, should I say, a whole next level show. It really is. And you can actually binge watch it on Hulu. And if you don't have Hulu, you can just steal your cousin's password like we all do, you know. Yep. Or like brothers, and you know, I'm talking to you, Robert. I need my Hulu back. There you go. I know you changed the password on it. I'm kidding. Uh, but before we get all that started, what are you drinking? Okay, so I am actually doing a sobriety challenge. So I'm not drinking alcohol at the moment. I'm trying to get my mind, body, and spirit in tuned and connected. So I'm not drinking alcohol. But today I have a very special drink that I'm drinking. It's in this jar, this little mason jar here. It's actually a tea that um that I just got gifted to me from my friend's mom. So I spent some time on the Navajo reservation over the weekend. And she harvested this wild tea from her marijuana from, plant. 
it's yeah, just a little bit. Um, no, <laughs> she harvested this tea from her yard and it's called, it's like Navajo tea. And so that's what I'm drinking today. It's like this really long, like stringy plant. And then you just like wrap it up into these little bundles and you like dry it out and you steep it for tea. So that's the drink that I'm drinking tonight is a Navajo tea. What about you? Well, I'm going to let you know it's a little green as well, but does it, what is, does it make you feel funny or caffeine wise or no, I don't think it has any caffeine in it. I think they're just like, it's just a plant that helps like with cramping or like hydration. It helps with like cleaning out your system, kind of like the same thing as green tea, but it doesn't, I don't think this one has caffeine. Oh, okay. And it doesn't make you run to the restroom in like two hours. No. No, I mean, it does in a way like help like your digestive system, but it doesn't give you the shits if that's what you're asking. <laughs> or, yeah, or the chorro as we like to call it. Yeah, it doesn't give you the chorro. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm drinking since uh, we're doing a sober episode. I'm drinking this mineral water uh, lime. 1877, that's a Texas brand. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I think, I mean, by H-E-B, so... I don't know if you know what H-E-B is. No, what is that? So it's like our biggest um, grocery store here in Texas. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. in, cool. in the good parts of Texas. You know, the other parts, they don't have it. They have the Wiggly Wiggly or something. <laughs> no, nice. the hood has H-E-Bs. They just oh. don't have, like, the good stuff, too. Oh, okay, okay. I used to shop at Piggly Wiggly when I was younger. We don't have them in Kansas anymore. They closed down. Can- oh, okay. oh, that's right. You are from Kansas, but you're yeah. in LA right now, right? Or- I'm in LA. I live in LA at the moment. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, I was gonna. I was. I feel like I was talking mess about certain parts of Texas, and that they're gonna disown me uh, if I don't apologize. But I'm. It's also a Texas thing to not to not to apologize. Yeah, don't apologize. You said what you said. I said what I said. Too hard, too fast. We don't check facts. <laughs> uh, so mineral, I love this, and this is the first time I'm actually dr- trying the lime. I usually just buy the the regular one. So, okay, I don't know. Try it. Okay, cheers. Oh wait, you didn't even mm. cheers me. Uh, okay, okay, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, cheers. Sorry to uh, winning. Chup, chup. Yeah, cheers to winner, winner, chicken dinner. Literally, in, in in your case, yeah, literally. But um, oh, that's actually really good. So you can actually test the lime, taste the lime. The thing of like, I kind of like. I don't think it's natural lime. So like, eighteen seventy seven, I'd like it because supposedly it's like very good for you, mm-hmm. as opposed to like topo chico that it's a supposedly yeah. not. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. But, too hard, too fast. We don't check facts. I like 1877, and they're local. It's, e- it's an easy buy. This is not sponsored. Not sponsored at all, either. <laughs> no, but if you want to sponsor but me, H-E-B or 1877, let's yeah. go. You mix this with some tequila, vamonos. See, if I was drinking an alcoholic drink tonight, I would be the same as Amber, and I would be drinking something with, with mezcal. I'm a huge mezcal and tequila drinker. Like I'm also Mexican American, so that mezcal is—I feel like it runs through my DNA. 
See, I hate that you already uh, divulged that information because I wanted to like pretend that I did really good research. It's okay. No, but you know what? I did want to call you out on the fact that like you kind of and not in a bad way calling you out, but calling uh-huh. you out. Okay. You it, <laughs> it just it, it to me it seems like you lean more into the indigenous side, and that's fine. I'm not talking mess. But percentage is it more? I'll I'll tell you why. So I actually grew up on a reservation. Mm. So I didn't grow up in Mexico. I didn't, you know, like the family that I was exposed to are Mexican American, and culturally, I do lean more side and more to the indigenous side because I was raised knowing more of my indigenous roots and understanding like what it means to be indigenous and like the spiritual beliefs and the cultural practices. Like I lived that I didn't grow up in Mexico. So I feel more native, but also at the end of the day, like, you know, 20% of Mexicans also identify as indigenous. So I'm a firm believer in the border crossed us. We didn't cross the border. There are so many different parallels that connect the two cultures together. Even though there's a cultural influence from Spanish in, in Mexico and with the language and a lot of the like Catholicism and beliefs, spiritual beliefs, but at the root of all of that, Mexicans are indigenous people too. So how did you like balance that growing up? Like knowing, or can we talk percentage? Like, are you like 50-50 or? Yeah, so no, I'm not. <clears throat> so my dad is Mexican and white. My grandma is like Spanish, which we always thought she was French, like Spanish French. Our last name is De Spain. It doesn't get any more Spanish than <laughs> that last name De Spain. That literally translates like from Spain or of Spain. And so for the longest time, we thought my grandmother was like French or Spanish. So we didn't really know. And then my mom's side, my grandfather is also Spanish and Native American, and they're also Mexican. My dad, my mom's dad and her biological mother is full blood native. So there's like a big mix in there of all of that. So I did a 23andMe test and I found out that it's half. It's half and half. So it's 47% is Native American indigenous. And then the other percentage is all, um, I think it's Eastern European, which was the biggest percentage of that was Spanish Portuguese. And then the there was like a small sliver of like British Irish in there, which I believe does come from my grandmother. That's like basically white. But the funny thing is, is like my grandma, even though she's a wera, like she's white, she speaks fluent Spanish. Like she is basically a Mexican woman. It's so freaking weird. And <laughs> all of her baby daddies are Mexican. So all of my tias and tios, like all my uncles, like they all speak Spanish. So I grew up like knowing both cultures, you know. Um, but I didn't know a lot about like Mexico because I didn't grow up there. I'd only been there like a few times in my childhood. And so I wasn't really exposed to that part of like the culture and like the traditions. All I knew was like being Mexican American, which is kind of like twice removed from Mexico. You know what I mean? Right. So when people are like, oh, like you, like, you know, same as you, you lean more towards being your indigenous side, but that's just because that's the way that I was raised. I know that history, I know that knowledge, I know those beliefs. I don't I didn't know a lot about Mexico until I got older and I started seeking that information and asking more questions. And my dad's father, biological father, was not present in his life. So my dad also didn't get that cultural knowledge. It was just all stemmed through my grandmother and what she could 
relate to us just through her passion for the culture and for the people and for the men, apparently. So <laughs> that's basically how that works. <laughs> so it's like, you know, growing up, it's like I wasn't Mexican enough. And I, when, as being native, like I'm, I'm half, I'm a half breed. So it's like, I had a lot of cultural identification, like identity issues growing up and not knowing like where I would fit in. But, um, I just leaned more into like what felt natural to me, which is my native side. All right. So the reason I asked about the percentages was because I had a coworker years ago tell me that, uh, I think she was a certain percentage, uh, native American. And she told me her tribe, and I already forgot, but that her dad could live on the reservation, but she couldn't because she wasn't the right amount of percentage. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's why I was asking you, like, because I read or saw somewhere that you did grow up in the reservation. Mm -hmm. So the thing about percentages is something that was basically influenced by the colonizers of this country because once treaties were signed and the government started allowing you know gaming and way a means of indigenous people on their land to make money for their people um then the colonizers or the the country um government said okay well if you're going to distribute money to your tribe we need to put a tracking on who is a member of your tribe and then they started um, basically saying, if you're a, if the quantum blood count for this tribe is however much percent. So you have to be blood count has to be of this percentage to have the ability to seek the benefits from being Native American in this country, which is really screwed up because there's so much there's so much that's happened and so many people that have been removed and so much intercultural you know, breeding at this point that a lot of people are like, oh yeah, my great grandma was a Cherokee princess and blah, blah, blah. And everybody wants to like claim that they're Native American because they think culturally it's cool, but they have no idea what it means to be Native American. But then you have these people that also still live on the reservation that don't have that quantum blood count. And by law or by the state, by the, this, you know, government system says like, okay, you're not Native enough to receive these these benefits of being native because of your quantum blood, but they grew up in the culture. They know all of the, you know, ceremonial traditional things. And so it's really kind of messed up. I've never heard of anyone not being able to live on the reservation, but because, I mean, I think that's what the goal ultimately is, is to get on the red. (laughs) Well, because I was thinking in the fact that, we if like maybe people want to get away with certain things or escape a life and they just claim that they're Cherokee or Choctaw yeah. or whatever. Um, I mean, that could be a thing too. I've never heard of that. I don't know anyone that wants to live on the res because it's not a privileged life at all. You know, I guess if they're escaping from murder or something cool, but they're out in the yeah. boonies somewhere. It depends on the tribe. But for the most part, people aren't like, oh, I, I want to live on the res. It's more so like people trying to get off the res because of what all if of the reservation. Ha- should, should I call it? Should I just start calling it the res? So I can Please. be cool. Yeah, call it the res. That's what we call it. That's what everyone oh. else. Have you seen Res Dogs, the show? No, I want to. There's so much stuff watch on TV. I want it's to. It's so good. You know, I know this is a little bit off track, but when I saw that show come on, I was like, 
are you joking? Like, this is amazing. And it's also, it actually takes place in Oklahoma too. That's where I grew up. That's where I was born. I grew up in Oklahoma. And I was like, holy cow, like my childhood is on TV. Like no one that lives on the res would ever think that their childhood or things that they could resonate with is going to be on television. I grew up my whole life thinking no one will ever understand me and the way that I grew up because it's an unknown world. And now it's on TV. I'm like, damn, like this is amazing. Well, I see your your show, and I'll raise you a different show. Okay. Also on Hulu, This Fool, and it's about Cholo Mexicans. Oh, my God. And it's hilarious. It's okay, fucking I'm gonna hilarious. Have to, I'm going to have to watch that, too. I don't get a chance to watch TV that often, but that's on my list. Okay. Where I grew up in Eagle Pass, it's a border town, yes, where it's mostly Hispanic, mostly Mexican-American, mostly Mexicans that, you know, don't send us back kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't send me back. But the, the culture was, you know, even though it was very um, Mexican culture, we did have, a, uh, or we do actually still have a, a tribe there, uh, the Kickapoo tribe. Mm-hmm. And so I can see when I was growing up that, it wasn't the for me at least, and this is just an outsider's point of view. Yeah, it's not like a very privileged way to live, but also I was never not a privileged person either. Like I didn't grow up with money, or at least mm-hmm. my mom told me we never had money. <laughs> but there was um they did live like right outside the city limits. And it was almost like weird, like you couldn't really go into their place. Like I had friends that were Kickapoo and I never got to go visit and I then never got the only time I saw him was at school. Okay. So that's about it. And then I remember like it was elementary the most part where I saw them. And after like that, like middle school, maybe a few, and then high school almost nothing. Okay. Wow. And you know, I don't understand that, but we also have a casino and everybody knows. Everybody knows Eagle Pass because of the casino, mm-hmm. and they just know that that's it's on the reservation, and so you know they they do their own policing and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. it was just like a weird way to grow up, knowing that you know they exist, but also we don't know too much about them. Yeah, nobody knows anything about Native American history these days. The good thing is that there are a lot of documentaries now on Netflix and Hulu and things that are educating people. And I think this is a beautiful, amazing time for indigenous people to have a voice finally, because for centuries, like for years, we were silenced. And I was, you know, here I come as a mixed Native American, Mexican American woman as a chef in general is very rare, you know to be successful enough to be put on a Gordon Ramsay show and then not only be put on a Gordon Ramsay show, but also talk about my heritage where my ancestors were shushed and hooked. And, you know, like, don't, you can't talk your language. You can't talk about your culture. You can't be proud to be who you are. You need to be colonized. You need to be, you know, civil people. And like, we got to cut your hair and I have to dress like us. And it was like, you know, it's so empowering to feel, to have that part uh, in today's, in this movement of Indigenous people of having a voice. And um, it's so remarkable and incredible. But yeah, not a lot of people know about the culture, which is why I'm so heavily 
passionate about making sure that I'm representing my people in a positive way. If I'm going to be on a, on a platform, I sure as hell better do something positive about it. I can't just, I could easily just show up as just some cute girl that cooks food, but that's not what I'm about. And that's not what my ancestors prayers were set out for me to do. So I feel in a way that what I'm doing is fulfilling my true life's purpose, but also I am doing my part and, and withholding my responsibilities to keep those traditions alive. And so that way I can educate people about how important these traditions are, this knowledge is to be proud of who I am when for so long native people were told not to be proud, you know? Right. And so that I, I do want to touch on that. Uh, I do want to also talk about like, not just you being on the show and how amazing that is, uh, in itself, uh, the fact that you kind of, uh, um, you pretty much did a 180 with your life and took a chance pretty much. I saw somewhere that you were homeless for a while. I know the grit and the fight that I put out living out of my car, trying to make this dream happen. So I want to talk about that in a little bit, but, um, Touching about being hush-hush and all that, the way I, at least with the Mexican culture, you know, it's like, oh, keep your head down and just do what you're supposed to do and, you know, whatever. But then with the indigenous side, I I think you can bring some perspective on that. Like, are you guys told the almost the same thing? And some of my friends even were like, oh, we're not allowed to leave the reservation for too long or we're not. If if we decide to move a certain place, like they disown us, like that we we lose all privileges or whatever that comes with living on the reservation. I mean, I think in different. I mean, from family to family, tribe to tribe, it's very different. You know, I can't speak for everyone's experience of living on the tribe and or on the reservation and coming from different tribes. I can only speak from my point of view and what I've been exposed to and the knowledge that I have. From my knowledge it's it's one thing like we're we like indigenous people or indigenous children are taught that this is our way of life and it's our responsibility to stay within this means and this way of life and it's not you know a good thing to want to be out in this material world because it separates you that materialism it separates you from the spirit world of like it basically creates a block between you and the spirit world and you in in connection with mother earth your connection with creator your connection with all of and which is you know which is light and truth and healing and so when when you leave the reservation and you're exposed to these bigger cities and it teaches you to keep up with the Jones, it teaches you to be a part of the rat race, it teaches you to be separated from that belief system. And I think it is a little bit frowned upon, but at the same time, living on some of these reservations is grueling, it's hard, it's living in extreme poverty and what you would think as a campsite, like you and your family are going to go camping, you're living outside, you're cooking outside in the fire, you're like sleeping on rocks, like that's some people's everyday life to this day. And so for people to say, no, don't you don't leave this is selfish. So some parents are like, please do leave this, go out into the world, do something great, but don't forget about your roots and mm. anything and everything that you do, you should instill that belief system into that. 
and keep that as your core and as your, you know, stay in alignment with that. And so I think it goes hand in hand with, you know, Indigenous people, Native American people wanting more for their people. And the only way that that can happen is if these kids and these people like myself go out into the world and teach the importance of that culture and, and, you know, stay true to ourselves. And even if you're not teaching people, at least you're keeping it within yourself while you're on that journey to better yourself, to become more successful, to have the financial stability to help those people that still live on the reservation. But, um, but we are taught, you know, that our existence is not important. You know, if you look at things that have happened recently in the past with when Trump was running for presidency, and I'm not here to speak about politics, really, but there's something that happened while the the polls were being, you know, put on the screen of, of what ethnic background or race were people voting from. So it had like, Caucasian white American had African American had Hispanic and then there was a section and there's you know oriental or or Asian uh, people and then at the bottom was other and that was what represented indigenous people or Native American people of this country was other you know so it's like we're taught every day that our existence doesn't matter and like what we want to do and what you know what we are as people like we're not recognized as even human beings anymore. You know what I mean? We're other. Yeah. So like you're saying at some point, because I remember saying Native Americans as a checkbox forever, but then as of recently or since then, um, you just became the other box. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, though. It's really crazy. It's really sad, which is. You know, and the same with Mexican-Americans or Mexicans as well. They come here from from Mexico to live a better life, to get away from the crazy politics and the, the, the what are they called? The mafia? Corruption. Yeah, yeah la, the corruption. Yeah, la, the el, el cartel. The cartel, yeah. So it's like <laughs> all the corruption that's there, people are like basically facing you know, it's life or death for some people when they come to this country and they try their very best to get rid of their accent, to become more American, to be, you know, one of those like whitewashed Mexican families. They're encouraged to do that. So they're under the radar and that no one's messing with them. They're like, oh, no, we're American. And I have friends that, you know, write books about this, about you talk like a white girl, you know, and she's like, what does that mean? You talk like a white girl, like, how are you Latina, but you sound like a wera, you know? And she's like, I was taught to be educated and to not talk with this accent because then it will bring, you know, too much um, attention to me that will be unwanted, you know? Yeah, but from- then you do that and it's like, oh, can te crees? Who do you think you are, man? Like- exactly. I know. So it's like, it's a win or lose situation for, for both groups of people <clears throat> of like, keep your head down. You know, don't don't cause too much attention to yourself. And it's really sad, you know, that it's either you're facing assimilation and turning into something that is Americanized and that's not really you. It's not your culture or like the possibility of being deported or like being racially discriminated against. That's the country that we live in. And don't get me wrong, like being in America provides a ton of opportunity for people. It really, really does. But there's two ends of the sword. Oh, I mean, I, I I talk about it and I joke about it in both ways. But, I mean, if anything, I think Native Americans should be treated with more uh, respect. And it's weird that it's not. Because, like, if you really think about it, like, you guys, and 
I don't know if it's offensive to say you guys. But, um, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Native Americans were here, were the true ones here before anybody else. You know, regardless of not just country wise, but just on this part of the world, on this side of the world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that comes with the, you know even the Mexican culture. Yes, by now, um, my culture is probably more mixed into like the Spaniard conquistadores that came and took over the, you know, the Aztecs and the Mayans and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and funny that it, well, I I did it. I don't know if it was Twenty Three and Me or one of the other DNA stealing cloning uh, organizations, <laughs> but I did one. And I'll tell you, I, I the only reason I did it was because forever I was always told that I look Pacific Islander or mm-hmm. like Hawaiian or something. Yeah. And so, you know, that got in my head and I was like, maybe I am like the Rock's cousin or something. You know, Dwayne, I, I am related to Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> so That would be uh, cool. Be like, hey, cousin, let me hold some money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, put me in wrestling. Yeah. Um, but so, but it also because my grandmother on my dad's side, they she was always told she looked Hawaiian Pacific Islander too. So then I started buying into. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe. I don't think so. Pretty hardcore Mexican. So what did you find out with your with your DNA test? That I'm pretty hardcore Mexican. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so yeah, pretty much like northern Mexican. What's that? One hundred percent conquistador. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like northern Mexico. There was some islands, and I don't remember what island there was, but it wasn't Pacific Islands. Uh, okay. You know. Shots. But I still say there was a mess up because I literally had just finished um, eating Mexican food, and one of the drinks I was drinking was uh, Jamaica. I don't know if you know what that is. but I know what that is. Okay. So I'll drink Jamaica. And I waited the hour or two hours, whatever the recommended thing. But when I spit into the thing, it it was all red still. Like it was all oh, the yeah, from the, yeah from the drink. Yeah, I think. So. It, I mean, it probably did have a little bit of that that riboflavin or that like dye, red dye or whatever in it. But so maybe it was a false test. Maybe I'm still related to the rock. Maybe you are. You should try. Don't do it again because that's a waste of money. But yeah. <laughs> All you need is a turtleneck and the chain and the fanny pack. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, right. And you should be that for Halloween this year. Right. No, be no muscles. All panza. Let's go. <laughs> be the rock for Halloween, please. Oh, <laughs> uh, La Piedra, the boulder. There you go. The boulder. Uh, but yeah, that's the whole 23 and me thing or whatever I did. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, not Hawaiian, at least not yet. But not I, yet. I think I want to do it one more time. But yeah, I waited like a whole day because I was like, I was nervous because I was like, oh my gosh, how much percentage am I colonizer over indigenous? Oh. I was, I was afraid. You know, I was like, oh. You what know. if it came back that you weren't even indigenous or like? Native I mean, American. that's no way that that was possible because I know who, like, we know our roots. You know, and <laughs> my my grandma clearly gave birth to my mom. She remembers. You know, <laughs> um. So it's like we knew that that part was in it, but so the the way the per- we'll go back to the percentages. Okay, so the way the percentages work is like technically. For my tribe, so I'm 
I am Prairie Bend Potawatomi. That's the tribe that I belong to. I'm a member of that tribe. There is a quantum blood percentage cutoff, and the cutoff is one eighth. I and it shows that I'm one eighth of that tribe, like that that quantum blood. And the way that they trace that is through lineage, like or like your heritage of like who your great who your great grandmother is, who your grandma is, who your mother is. So they have to have that documentation of showing who your family is you know so we know who our family is so based off of knowing that my grandmother was you know Potawatomi but they're also Sac and Fox so we're two types of native but you can only be a member of one tribe so we had to choose are we going to be a member of the Sac and Fox tribe or are we going to be a member of the Potawatomi tribe there are more benefits to being a part of the Potawatomi tribe because we do have there is a casino there they do have gaming they do have a golf course all of that contributes to putting benefit, you know, putting benefits back into the children's like futures. So they said, it, you know, financially it would be a better idea to put to enroll them into the Potawatomi tribe than the Second Fox tribe. Second Fox tribe is smaller. They have a casino, but it's a small casino, and there aren't much benefits to being that. So unfortunately, I can't claim both of being a member of both, but I have that blood in me as both. So if we want to say I'm so one. You decided to go for the Luxor instead of the Mirage. Exactly. Well, my parents, <laughs> my mom did. It wasn't me, but I still probably would have decided to be part of Potawatomi. But so whenever I have a, I have what's called a CDIB card, which shows the count of your, um, your blood count. So it's basically like, quantum blood count identification card that's what it is basically and it says that i'm only one eighth but that's what my co-worker was talking about yes so but i have more blood in me that is native that i that isn't you know documented because i'm not allowed to like be a part of both and then there's also indigenous part like blood from my grandfather my mom's side and my dad so that's why my percentage rate is 47%, which is almost half. Okay. So yeah. with with growing up in similar cultures, or I guess I'm, I'm comparing it to the Mexican culture, uh, again, going back to keep your head down and who do you think you are kind of stuff. And, you know, now you've, you're at the level you are at now, next level. Uh, <laughs> where was there any like moment? Cause like, I'll, 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 I'll paint it this way. My mom was always the person, my mom and dad, but my mom for the most part was do whatever you want. Just do it right. And do it. If not like if it makes you happy, but if it does well for you, you know, kind of thing like it. Yeah. Uh, but then when I was like, oh, well, I want to do this. It's like, oh, do you really have to go that far? Like, I was yeah. like, kind of like not holding me back, but not wanting to let go too far. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you wanted to, you went to college, was going to college. I know, like I brought it up earlier that you kind of, you kind of stopped and you did, you did a 180, which I 100% admire when people do stuff like that. Like it's, it's fucking nuts to me, and I I really love the idea that someone can do the ah this is not working out for me anymore, and I'm not happy. I'm gonna go try something that's probably gonna make me miserable for a long time, but 
if it hits, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be the best thing for me. So I will tell you the story of how all that came about. It was less poetic than the way that you put it, honestly. <laughs> um, I fucked up a lot, to be quite honest. Like I really messed up a lot, and I was a bad kid. I was very rebellious. I was always getting into fights. I was, I, I wanted to be like a chola. I used to wear my little bangs down and I. <laughs> like chucks and like the sharpie the sharpie eyebrows i had these hook eyebrows it was so disgusting and ugly and i used to wear those is she angry hats. or is she surprised i don't know i know we could never <laughs> tell but you know like the belts that had the old english letters like those little like oh letters. yeah yeah buckles and you like spell your name out like vato you know or whatever i, I dressed <laughs> like that i had like old english everywhere and i was just trying to be this little chola girl because i was prove i was mexican to my mexican friends or and then we went also, to like i think i have the worst belt worse than that i what? found it i was cleaning out some of my stuff from my parents and i found this belt buckle so i'm from eagle pass the belt buckle was an eagle like a fucking eagle oh my god was it like a big one like this like a big bronze eagle just like like oh like man <laughs> so Eagle Pass, also Mexican, so you have the Mexican Eagle. Uh, so it was like, you couldn't escape it. I was like, oh my God. I looked at it, it was like cringy as fuck. That is so <laughs> hilarious. The things we did in high school to prove our Mexicano is or whatever that is. Yeah. Like, I was hardcore, like, because I, I left the res, then we went to Kansas City where I grew up with like my Mexican side of the family, and like, I am just little like, light-skinned girl i don't speak spanish my dad doesn't speak spanish but everyone else in our family speaks spanish and so i was like i had a complex i was like i don't speak spanish i don't know what the hell they're talking about so i started trying to learn more and then we went i got me my brother and my sister my stepsister at the time i got us all expelled like like not really dispelled but we were banned from the school district like that's how bad that's how bad i was that they were like we don't want your kind here at all so then we had to go to this like super hood school that was all. Did you like, tell them which kind, the Mexican kind or the indigenous? I know, like what kind are you talking about? They're like, whatever you are, we don't want it. So <laughs> they came out of the entire school district, and then we went to this like super Mexican school in the hood. And it was Harmon High School and KCK in Wyandotte County. At least they call it Crime Dot. That's where I grew up because it was like the ghetto part of Kansas. So it was called Crime Dot Wyandotte County. We went to Harmon. And we had like people like these little vatos and like gang members that would come spray paint our school. There was a freaking shooting the first day of drive by the first day oh, I went there. And then they had the highest dropout rate, uh, pregnancy dropout rate. Everyone was getting pregnant. My best friend from eighth grade to ninth grade got pregnant with her first child. And she had two children by the time she was a senior in high school. So this gives you a broadened scope of like what type of high school I went to. So I was trying to prove like I was down, you know, because I was always getting picked on for quote unquote being a pretty girl. And I had to put, you know, I had to like defend myself. But then it got to a point where I was like, okay, well, if I just become mean and intimidating and just start beating girls up, like they'll start messing, they'll stop messing with me. So you couldn't even look at me wrong. And I would be like, what are you looking at? And I would like fight you. It was so crazy. I was crazy. So anyways. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, fast forward to I got kicked out of entire school district. And I was like, okay, I got to be a good kid now. So I had to have a 15 years old. I had to have a real 
solid talk with myself because I couldn't go to school for months until the expulsion was like lifted. And then I had to go to a whole new school district, you know, and this was when I went to the, like the hood school. So we were at a really good school. And then I got us all kicked out because my dad was trying to like make sure we got the best education. You know how like Mexican American families are and just families in general. If you grew up in the hood, they want better for you. They don't want you to walk the same road that they did because there's not a lot of privilege or opportunity there. So he was trying his best to do something good for us. And I fucked it up because I was bad. I was a bad girl. (laughs) So I was like disappointing my parents you know they were like what's going on with you like you're crazy and I was like I know I don't know so I had to have a real hard talk with myself and try to figure out like how do I change as a person at 15 I had to have that talk with myself I'm like I'm done being this bad girl I want to be a good kid I want to go to college I want a brighter future like I want to prove that I'm not like a mistake you know of a child like i want to do something good and was so, that just like a self-talk or was that like yeah some kind it was of, a, well it wasn't like a huge realization of like oh man i'm or i mean it was both you know it was a realization of like i was screwing up really bad i had i literally was like one misdemeanor charge away from being put in juvenile detention center so I had like misdemeanors, battery charges, like against me for fighting people. And I had one more opportunity and I oh, had okay. to figure out what I wanted to do with that. Like, do I want to keep going down this path and being this crazy out of control kid and like end up with another misdemeanor and then go to juvenile hall? Like, am I really built for that? Pro- I mean, at the time I felt probably <laughs> like I was, but I was like, I shouldn't, this should not be my reality. So I had to change. And so... We went, you know, I was able to go to this new school, which was super ghetto. And I was like, I know it's going to be tempting because people are going to want to fight. There's a lot of gang violence and a lot of like things going on. But I had to like keep my head down and like go to school and get good grades. And I started playing sports and I became the quote unquote golden child. My my principal literally used to call me the golden child. And I helped raise like over five hundred thousand dollars for our school to like get the um our football field like restored and stuff and I was like on every committee doing everything national honor society played soccer like I was doing everything right got a full ride scholarship to go to college and I got accepted into a big 12 university which had never happened in my family I was the first what were you gonna go for I went well I I was actually going for marketing okay is that how how did you get into that uh Hispanic best fest I'll tell you. That was still high school, right? Or no? Yeah, that was high school. So that was one of the um, programs that I was introduced to called BizFest, where you write business plans and you compete for scholarship money. And so I won like third place or something like that. And then I just kept showing up to like the opportunities that they would call me for. They would be like, hey, you want to come back and like talk to our students or I was doing like stuff with them. And so I got, I became really well connected with the people in the organization, um, people that were leading that. So, yeah. So I just became this like golden child and um, just really like was trying to do more with my life. And I got really passionate about being successful. And then I go to college and then I was faced with the same obstacles that most kids from my community face, which is not really being prepared educationally and but also like 
having that discipline within ourselves to like keep going to class every day. And most, it's not even just from my neighborhood or from my, my town or my city that I grew up in, but it's a lot of students have the opportunity to go to college and have no supervision from their parents. And I was like, my dad was super strict on me. Like I couldn't do, I couldn't have sleepovers. I couldn't go over to people's house and, and hang out with them because I was bad. And he was afraid that I was going to like, go get, go run off and get into a fight or go run off and be with (laughs) boy or something so my dad was like really really strict with me so the moment that I had freedom I went crazy and I was at school partying I got in trouble with alcohol in my dorm like I made all the mistakes that you shouldn't you should not be making on your freshman year and I think the only mistake was you getting caught that was the yeah <laughs> but you know, I wasn't going to class and I was just getting getting caught up with the wrong things and I wasn't you know doing my best and so I ended up actually getting really bad grades and the dean was like you have one chance to like either you're gonna come back and you have to be like basically on like like academic probation probation and um so that summer after my freshman year I went home and my dad was like he got that letter in the mail and he was super disappointed in me and I actually just didn't go back to school. Like me and my dad got into this huge fight and um, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to stay here with you. And I had nowhere else to go. And this was another time I was like couch surfing. I'm 18 years old. My dad and I got into a fight. He basically kicked me out of his house. And I was like, okay, well, where am I going to go? I tried to go sleep on my, my brother, his couch for a little bit. And I was like, I'm just going to go get my own apartment. And I'm going to try to go to school here and try to figure my life out as a like 18, 19 year old kid. And here I am faced with another grueling, like hard decision. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to try to go back to college for a second year? Am I going to just get my own apartment here in LA or here in Kansas City and like get a job and like figure my life out? So I ended up just getting my own apartment. I was doing my own thing. I had three jobs. I was working. I was trying to go to school part time. I lost my scholarship. And I I messed up again. So it took, you know, a lot of messing up to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And it took about five, four, four years, we'll say four years of me trying different things, you know, trying out different jobs. I worked at car dealerships for like four years, got my first like really big, you know, job as a manager. And I was making great money. And I was like, oh, I don't have to have a college degree to like make good money in the car industry. And I did that for a while. And then I just like, I, this passion for cooking came, it didn't come out of nowhere. So the, the, the part about where the passion for cooking comes in is it comes from my dad's side of the family, the Mexican American side. So my grandmother was a baker and I had two uncles that owned restaurants and my dad loves to cook. And so everyone from my Mexican side, they all love cooking. And we're, everyone's like really competitive also. And so when we would have like Christmas or Thanksgiving or these like holidays, everyone would bring food and my dad would be like, oh, my turkey's better than yours, you know, or like, you know, or my tamales are taste better or like whatever. And so it was just always like a very competitive environment for me to be, to grow up in. And also like, this family's love for food was like next level, you know? And so that was instilled into me. I know (laughs) It was just instilled into me to like have that passion as well. And to understand the importance of cooking and the importance of food, bringing family together and friends together. And that passion was always there, but it didn't get ignited until 
I was in my early 20s and I just started diving deep into food and I was like plating it off cute. And I was like, you know, exploring different cuisines. And my friends were like, you're actually really good at this. You should go to culinary school. And I was like, yeah, right. And my friend, her name is Anne. I always call her. I like, I'm always like, had it not been for you suggesting culinary school, I probably would have never even thought that that was an option for me. And then one day I saw this like commercial on the TV and it was like, hey, like we're advertising for tours of this culinary school that's in Kansas City, Missouri. I was like, what? No way. I know. So I called the number and I was like, all right, like I'm going to go to this, do this tour. So I saw it on TV. The next day they scheduled my tour. I went in the next day, did the tour, was absolutely swept off my feet. Like something just spoke to me, you know, and I was just like, wow, I feel like this is what I need to do. And the lady was like, yeah, you seem really interested. So these are our programs. You can start in the fall. She's like, if you really want to start, we have a program starting with the class in three weeks. And she was like, I know that's like a quick turnaround. And, and you know, for some people it might be a little scary because you have to figure out how you're going to pay for it. But if you want us to help you, we'd be happy to sign you up today. But it has to be today or with this within this week to get you enrolled. And I was like, a okay. lot of that sounds real scam mail to does, doesn't it? Like we gotta sign up today or never, you know, but it's now or never. The deal so, is now. <laughs> well, I just sat there with it for a moment and I thought about it. And I was like, what do I have to lose? You know, I'm going to culinary school. I'm gonna get educated about food. I'm excited about it. This seems so cool and amazing. And so I signed up for classes that day and I started going to culinary school in the evening. So I was still working my full-time car dealership job during the day. And then at night I was going to school and I absolutely fell in love with it. Like that was that moment like of clarity of like, this is where I should be. Like I didn't feel more comfortable anywhere else than in that kitchen, like learning what I was learning, being, you know, being there with the other students and being around people that are just as passionate about something that you are it kind of ignites that fire a little bit more and it, it it just it fuels you to keep on that journey and does it so, help also that like um you're seeing the end result like the hard work you're putting in you're seeing it right away almost yeah because you know cooking is one of those things where you can put a lot of emotion a lot of energy into it and then at the end of the day like you give it to someone and their eyes are like it's that yeah. instantaneous like like that re that reward, you know, it's like that quick reward of like, we know that what we did just really like was good for that person and they loved it and they're giving you gratitude and they're like, wow, you know, they're praising your food or whatever. I fell in love with that and just being able to create experiences for people, especially growing up where, you know, like we did grow up poor, you know, and so we were only eating like certain types of food. And when I went to culinary school, I was like, wow, look at all these spices and this, this like sauce and these like products and this cut of meat and these things that I had never eaten before and that I've never had. And I get to educate, be educated on that and then cook it for my family. And like, oh, this is what I've learned. And it was also like giving a gift to them as well. And my dad was like, what are you doing? Like, are you joking? Like, why do you want to be a chef? And he tried in a way to kind of talk me out of it and was like, you know, if you want to be a chef, like you're going to be in the kitchen standing up all day, the hours are long, you're not going to get paid very well. And like, it's a lot of wear and tear on your body. And he was like, basically talking it down. And me being the rebellious person was like, nah, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. You don't know it all, you know? And so but I in just a, kept in the turn, it's also like, like, he's like, and I'm saying, looking from my mom's perspective, like, kind of afraid of what work because like, if you think about it, like, and not to talk down on people that work uh, for fast foods, but 
the thought of working for a kitchen and also mean it, it feels like you're working minimum wage and you're working wow. long hours and mm -hmm. it's it's almost like in that route like you're you're taking a back seat oh yes right? and in a certain and again like i said i don't want i'm not talking bad about people that work in fast foods for for whatever reason um uh, it sounds like I'm saying it bad, but I'm not. No, but but I we t I totally understand what you're saying. Like I work in the culinary industry. I worked in a restaurant post show, which is another story. Um, post you know filming for Gordon Ramsay, I'd never worked in a restaurant before, and so I was like, you know, a lot of these chefs like Chef Ramsay and Naisha Arrington and and Richard Blaze, they all worked in restaurants, and they know that like that hard work, you know, in how much you have to sacrifice and how much you have to work towards your goals, even harder working in the culinary or in the industry, the culinary world. And so I didn't know what that felt like because I had, as soon as I left school, I started being a private chef and I was like, I was taking on my own clients, doing my own thing, which I was taking the knowledge that I earned or that I learned in these classes and these courses, but that only got me so far. And I was like, I feel like I only know so much. I need to learn more. How else am I going to learn this if I'm not working with other people? Um, so I decided to go work in a restaurant for a couple of months. And let me tell you, like, that is like, like that type of work, like you got to be built for that type of work because those hours are ridiculously long and so the competition is, yeah. And the too hard, too fast, you know, like it <laughs> can, it can beat you down. And that's why there is so much drug addiction and alcohol addiction revolved around the culinary world because, you have these people that are so passionate about what they do. They love it, but it's not really rewarding at the end of the day. And not a lot of people respect people that cook in culinary, in the culinary world, or like cook in restaurants, regardless if it's a fast food restaurant, a, a TGI Fridays, an Applebee's, or in a five Michelin star. Like those people are more respected because they're notor, you know, they have like all the notoriety. But our parents, looking from an outside perspective that everyone else was looking at, I was like, they're not getting paid anything. They don't have a pension. They don't have a 401k. You know, the servers get paid more than the chefs do in the back sometimes or like the cooks. So mm -hmm. it's like, I can understand why my dad was concerned about me. But at the same time, I was like, I didn't want to hear anything he said. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to do what I want to do. My mom, on the other hand, she's super supportive. She's like, okay, if that's what you want, I'm happy for you, you know? But I also come from a family that my mom got pregnant when she was 14 years old and she didn't even graduate high school. She had to go back and get her GED in her twenties. And my dad didn't graduate from high school either. My brother dropped out of school of sixth grade. So that's the type of family that I grew up in. So even just to get that far in life should have been enough, you know, yeah. I get it. Uh, and I get it in, in the fact in two ways um, I did work for Burger King when I was either a junior or senior in high school. And mm -hmm. I was like, it's not for me. Like I can't do it. It's um, hard. Uh I did I think I don't even know how much of it, like eight months to a year. Uh, and I was like, no, it's I can't do it. Um but which is also like why I said like I don't want to talk down about it because I know a lot of them there was a lot there was people that were way older than me working. Like that was their way to provide for their family. So, and they were, they were killing it. They, they did their job and they were amazing. That's why I said, I don't want to talk negative about it, but I also see the fact like in your family where it's like, 
they want good they want the best of you and for mm-hmm. you so when you choose something like this it's like yeah it's, it's hard because it's it goes along with the who do you think you are like that's for somebody else mm-hmm. kind of thing but yeah. it's also it's hard to get like my mom with this like this whole podcast thing is like the way i i tell her what i'm doing it's like i just interview people for, like i just want to talk yeah. to people so she goes okay well you can talk to people anyways like it's it's a whole internet thing she's like okay i don't care it's like as yeah. long as you're happy i was like but it's not my day job right now you know like like if it does then who knows but if not then at least i have fun doing it you know mm-hmm. so but, oh, oh sorry go ahead no no go ahead i was gonna say and also our parents are from a different era you know what i mean where and 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 come from different walks of life where they, like you said, they just want better for us. And it's not that my dad was a bad dad. He wasn't. He was a great dad. He was hard on me and wanted me to do more with my life to the point where, you know, it's not that he was trying to talk me out of it. He was just trying to be like, talk reason with me like, hey, I'm just letting you know, like, this is what it is. And you should probably look into something a little bit more safe, have some something saved up at the end of the day and at the end of your life so that you don't have to keep working into your 60s and 70s like me and your mom probably will. You know, they just want what's best for us. Something sturdy and and reliable. That's what I was trying to say. You said it better. (laughs) Yeah. And so but the era that you and I are growing up in is there's this world of opportunity and we have social media, we have the internet, we have the interwebs, we have all of these platforms that will allow us to have the opportunity to be successful. And a lot of it, they don't understand, you know, right, right, 100%. And I don't, I don't try to make them understand. I think for you, I don't know. Do you, do you think they understand now what what you're doing? You know what? My dad actually, to to kind of dive into that part of me being homeless. Well, we can can we are we allowed to bring that up now? Because I know yeah, you're like, whatever, oh, whatever you want. <laughs> so when I moved to LA, the story goes is I graduated. I graduated from my program and I became a private chef. I was still working full time at the car industry, doing part time private chef, but I couldn't get my business really like off the ground because in Kansas City, because there weren't at that time a lot of people that understood what the hell private chef was. They're like, everyone here cooks for their family. You know, it's like one of those wholesome family area, you know, places where it's like people are eating, people either don't have the money to pay for a private chef or they don't understand why they would ever even need one if they cooked the food themselves. And my, my goal was to like push nutrition and nutrition in a place like Kansas, like almost didn't exist at that time because you have barbecue, you have all the burger joints, you have all the, like when, when you go out to a restaurant, everyone expects to get a big portion of food. And when you give them like a little bit of portion, they don't understand why you're doing it. So like fine dining really wasn't a thing there at that time. I think now it's changed a little bit, but it's not like you're not going to see like a small, like a tasting menu Michelin star restaurant in Kansas, because I don't think that those people, like I'm those people, cause I am from Kansas too. <laughs> I don't, I don't think Kansas people, like it doesn't like reside with them they don't value that you know whereas people from you know la there's a lot of foodies here there's a lot of people that understand that the level of like complexity it takes to create those type of foods and menus and like the the taste of flavors or whatever you get what i'm trying to say i do but also like does that some of that come with like 
snootiness where it's like they really don't understand what's the complexity. They I don't just think, think it has. Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with snootiness. I just think it has everything to do with like in the, the Midwest. Everybody, of it. everybody just uh-huh. wants to eat potatoes and steak in the Midwest. So uh-huh. for me to try to be a private chef, the meat and potatoes—that's where it comes from, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, they just want, <laughs> you know, they want what they want. But for me as a chef, it was hard to build a business there. So I had a friend that kept telling me, like, you know, Piet, you're bigger than Kansas City. Like, you need to get out of there. Like, come to L.A. I'm going to move there. Like, you should move in with me. And she, like, really sparked that little, like, thing in me that was like, huh, maybe I could be doing anything that I want. Like, everything that I'm doing now, I can do anywhere else. I was working in the industry, the car industry, making great money. I was the youngest person and the most qualified person to work my job which is being a bdc manager and i worked for general motor motors and motors general motors and i was going into <laughs> the dealerships and creating like these customer service hubs and i was really good at it and i could do that anywhere you know i came here to la and i was like okay i'm gonna move i finally moved pack up me merlot my cat and like whatever didn't fit in my car didn't go with me so i just packed my car up drove across the united states but i had this guy that i was dating and he was kind of the reason not the reason why we wanted to move, but I was planning to move here already. But just dating him kind of like sped up the process because he was like, oh, you can move in with me and like, I'll help you out, like get grounded and get your feet on the ground. And so I was like, okay. So I moved in with this guy. Um, we dated for about two and a half years. We ended up breaking up. But during that time frame, I was trying to build my business and I was like doing a really good job at it. So I started like meal prepping. The first client I ever had, his name is Justin. He's still my friend to this day. He was my first client that he was like, hey, I will, because I was doing meal prepping and I was going into this this gym and I was like, hey, here, I have these meals. Uh, it was a CrossFit gym. I was like, I have these meals. I see you have meal, meal preps here from this brand, but my food's better. Like, just try it out. Let me know if you like it. If you like it, like, I'll come bring food. You guys can pay me to bring the food and then you can sell the food to your clients or they can just pay me directly, but I, or here's samples. I just want to get my food out there. And just by doing that allowed me to get one client. And that one client was like, this is great. This is phenomenal. It's a great price, great value. So he started, you know, telling all his friends about it. And then it just like snowball effect. But I wasn't making enough money. And I was so co- I was just cooking out of the kitchen that I lived in, in like this apartment in Hollywood. And I got to the point where I was cooking so much that it was like great. It was like wearing me down. So I was cooking like 217 meals every week by myself. And I, of course, I was grateful for it because I'm I eventually got to quit the car industry, go be full time chef. So after six months of living in L.A., I was like, I'm quitting my job. I'm not working in the car industry anymore. I'm not passionate about that. I'm going to do what I'm passionate about and I'm going to be a full-time chef. I'm going to dedicate everything to being a chef because it deserves all of my energy and attention. Once I started doing that, that's when the clients really started coming. So I was able to put more focus into it. And then, um, but I still wasn't making enough money to like really be able to save. It was kind of just staying afloat and like contributing to the household situation. Just getting by. Exactly. And then the breakup happens. And I'm not even making enough money to afford my own apartment. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but like getting an apartment in LA is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like they want you to show proof of income for three times the amount of rent that you're renting for. And it's like, okay, what? Why do you need that? You know, like they want you to have an immaculate credit score. They want you to have, they want your first child, you know, like yeah. they want 
everything has to be so like to the T legit. It's so incredibly hard to get qualified for places around here. So there's no way I was going to have the ability to go get my own place. So I, I was homeless after that. Like we broke up. I had to put a bunch of my stuff into a storage unit and I packed two suitcases and my cat. And it was just me, my cat and my car and two suitcases in my trunk for almost a year. And I was just couch surfing because I was like, like couch surfing, you mean like with random people like you don't even know? Well, I was couch surfing with people that I did know. So I would oh. have one friend that was like, hey, you can come stay in my spare bedroom while my husband is away for work. And so I would go stay with one friend. And then another friend was like, hey, you can come crash on my couch if you want to. And then I so I did that for a year and then just kind of. Listen, why does the husband have to be away to, for you to go? Well, because she had just. Had a <laughs> She had just had a baby and I was there helping her with her baby. So she wouldn't be alone. There was no like, yeah, there was no affair. <laughs> That's what you're um, But yeah, so it was really, really rough. And it was honestly the most uncomfortable thing I'd ever done. I had to basically let go of all of my meal prep clients because I had no kitchen to cook out of. So my business went to shit. Like it was just dissolved. And I was like, what am I going to do to make money? So I just started applying for different positions everywhere that I could, where I could cook. I was doing cooking demos at Sur La Table. Doing, I was a chef instructor there. I was doing, um, I worked at a, I worked at a hair salon as a manager just to like make some money. Yeah. I was just doing all the odd jobs just to try to save money and get back onto my feet. And then finally, you know, I was just so fed up. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't have a place to live. My family's like, come back home. My dad was like, hey, you should really like, think about stopping this. Like, you know, you're not, you're not doing much out there. So why don't you come home? And finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm tired of you doubting me. And as long as I have this passion, this fuel burning inside me, I'm just going to keep going until I no longer have it. But every day that I wake up that I have it, it's one more day that I'm going to keep trying to like do something with with this passion of mine. So that's eventually what led me into honing in on my cultural heritage and bringing that forward. Was Long there ever story, but that's how it goes. No, listen, that I try not to interrupt as much, but I have a really bad habit uh, of like trying to cut stuff like serious stuff with like stupid stuff and funny stuff. Yeah. Um, but this is exactly what I was saying. Like you, you said it was poetic, but no, I like I truly freaking admire like somebody that has the guts or the brains or just the will to just fucking like, all right, I'm not in a good place and I'm gonna make something better of it, regardless of what it is. And you know, you hear it all the time, it's like I was homeless and now I have this. I was, um, I don't know, I was miserable at my job, and I quit with not, without having a plan, and then I decided to do this. And yeah. so I always find those stories, like, really inspiring and cool to listen to, because, you know, it's I have certain goals that I'm working towards, but I don't see myself, like, quitting my job right now to mm -hmm. do it, because it's like, yeah. well, I have a good job. But also, I love doing something else, and I feel like I can make something out of it. 
But at the same time, we and that's perfectly okay. Not everybody's road to happiness and success and fulfillment is the same. You know, like right. no no one's path is the same. They, they, they there might be success stories that have similarities, but none of them are the same. And so, whatever feels right to you intuitively, follow that. That's one thing that I have. Like I get hired now that I've won this amazing show and I've done all this amazing stuff with my life. People hire me just to go in and talk to indigenous kids to to inspire them to be more, to do more, not with just in their community, but within the world. And one thing that I tell them is like those core beliefs that we have, which I'm sure you were you have some core beliefs like instilled into you from your parenting, from your family, like your your parents, like teaching you intuitively follow that, you know, follow follow your heart, follow your dreams. And what that really translates to is follow your intuition and only you know what's right for you intuitively like you get that gut feeling when you're doing something bad you know what i mean mm. you're like i know i shouldn't be doing this but i'm gonna do it anyway that's in your intuition saying bitch don't do it like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but there's also there's the also the feeling that says this is it yeah yeah you know what i mean like that's like that's your intuition telling you like something so do whatever feels intuitively and alignment for you with yeah, that, and it sounds it sounds yeah. super corny to say follow your heart and all that, but that's the best way to put it that you just did. Uh, follow your intuition because it really is. You, you have that bad intuition, you have that good intuition of now this feels right. There's something here, whether you know what it is or not yet. There's mm -hmm. something there if you just continue like on the path. Um, yeah, I love that. So I know we said not to keep you too long. So let's just talk a little bit more on the chef, next level chef. Uh, the show was amazing. I'm a fan. I want to say something that's going to make you click off and hate me. That's okay. And, but I have to be honest with you. Yeah. Who did you uh, want to win? Say whatever you want. Well, I mean, if you started watching the Amber episode, um, I don't know how far you got, but, oh, we were supposed to also talk about something else that's always saving for the show. Bro. Oh, okay. the safe word. I guess we didn't, we didn't need a safe we word. We don't even need any more. <laughs> So anyway, I told her that I originally was rooting for Ruel. Pick me. Please pick me. I don't know what it was about him. I just gravitated to him. Uh, and I told her, like, I'm going to tell you, the show somehow, you don't really find out too much about the contestants because it's not like Hell's Kitchen where you see the after stuff mm -hmm. that they do afterwards and all that. And you can see, like, the the inner workings of how they scheme or how they flirt or whatever they do afterwards and kind of see, Oh, that person is so-and-so or yeah. is like this. You guys are just there showing your food. You can kind of see a little bit of scheming and whatever the show did, it was refreshing and I'm a sucker for food shows. Yeah. Uh, but they produced so, it really, really well. Yes. So completely sucker for food shows. And I, and I first saw it, I think when it was first airing, but I was in Austin and a hotel and we were going to go to a hockey game. And so I was just put it on as background noise and I got like suckered in. I was like, oh, fuck, I got to go. So then I almost completely forgot about it, but not because of the own doing it, which is like, just like I said earlier, there's too much to watch. So I always had intentions to come back because I was like, this show is, has something. So anyways, Ruel. But then I found Amber's from Texas, and I was like, oh, I'm going for the Texas girl. 
Yeah. Um, she's cute and she's got a good personality. Uh, no, I was gonna say no. Like no. It's like no. Well, I mean, it that's like it's an image thing. Like she's from Texas and she has that Texas personality too. Is yeah. it, is that a thing? I just I, I just gotta stay true to Texas. This is how true to Texas okay. I can say so. I gotta stay true to Texas. Okay, okay. So, stay like, to Texas, so <laughs> you're going for you're going for the Texas girl. Yeah, for the Texas girl. But then I started finding out there was other Texas people there. Whether they moved to Texas or they were from Texas and moved somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyways, are you clicking off yet? No, I'm listening. All right. Uh, the reason I did not want to choose you, even though everything said, oh, Mexican, hell yeah, let's go. Even if she is just half. <laughs> even if she's just a half breed, wet up. <laughs> we don't care. We'll still claim her. <laughs> yeah, right. Bring her. We'll take her back with us. Uh, get in the car. We all fit. <laughs> exactly. No. Uh, the thing that was about about you was uh, you had that American Idol second place winner thing about you. What does that and mean? And I promise that's a compliment. What does that even mean? It's a compliment to where it almost would offend Amber and it would uh, offend Ruel. Yeah, and that's what what it means is like if you an American Idol, you almost forget the champ that wins. Okay, but the second place winner <laughs> is the one that goes on, yes. and has the big okay. career because you they have the talent or in the charisma, or whatever you yeah. had that. So for me, it was like if she she's going to be fine regardless if she wins a show or not. That's what I thought. Okay. That's what I thought. So and I don't want to offend Amber Ruel or anybody else. Like they're even watching this, but. <laughs> I don't want to offend any of them and their and their own talents. But for me, that's what I thought. I was like, no matter what happens to Piet, she's going to be fine. Because there's the thing that I noticed from you from the beginning was you were very, it seemed very timid, and it could be producing and editing, but you seemed very timid. But then towards the end, you were way more passionate and way more outspoken. And yeah. so I was like, well, that, that was transition. True. That was all the way true because when we first started filming, I was afraid and I felt imposter syndrome. And I'm like, I don't have a chance. You know, when I, I'll be completely honest. When I went into this competition, I was like, I'm just here for the clout. Like, I'm going to be here for a few episodes, <laughs> my name next to Gordon Ramsay's. Like, I was on TV. I'm Gucci. Like, I'm out, <laughs> you know? And then, like, but I mean, even though I was super passionate about being Native and being Mexican-American and, like, putting to both of my... The big part of what I do is, like, I put both of my cultures on the plate. The way that they wanted to produce it is one thing. The way that I said it was another. So I was constantly talking about being from both. At the at the finale, like, where I won everything, my speech... I was like, not only am I a native Native American woman, but I'm I'm also Latina. Like I say that specifically because I wanted to be known. Like I come from both sides, you know, and my family also grew up, you know, having struggles as Latino people and that discriminative part of it and like the cultural and the traditions. Like I grew up that way too. So I say that on my my finale speech where I'm like talking to them. I was like, I feel like I'm a part of history. They cut all of that shit out. They don't put they don't put that one thing about me being Mexican American. Maybe like once or twice it's put in there. But they had like this they had this goal to highlight my indigenous side, and that's what they decided to do. <laughs> so that's just what happened, you, you know. You don't have to mute yourself. I can edit around the the other stuff. 
oh my god, it's Kat. She's fucking being crazy. Oh. Um, but yeah, so I get it. So you wanted to go with Ruel. Ruel was amazing, like amazing. And I he intimidated me. So when they would ask, like, who's your biggest like threat? I would be like, Ruel, because he has so much knowledge. Like he has so much experience. Like he knows the hustle, you know, he knows the grind and he has that but level. He, he also was in the kitchen more than you were, yeah. right? Like like he had more background like, in the I- kitchen. Yeah, in an actual kitchen. And so that amount of knowledge and like his cooking techniques, I was like, his cooking techniques alone, like out, like they put me in the dust. You know what I mean? And I would thought for sure, I was like, if, you know, and the thing about it is like the people that were in that finale, which was me, Mariah, and Ruel, like each and every one of us was so deserving. I would never be like, oh, I deserved it more than they did. Like I would have been over the moon if, either of those two won the show because Mariah also is an incredible, incredible flavor palette bomb shell. Like she's so knowledgeable herself. And I got to cook with her the first episode where we were cooking for the judges to pick which team, you know, I was hoping that I would be on her team because I wanted to learn some stuff from her because I saw her in that first round cooking. And I was like, dang, this girl knows what she's doing. She can throw down the kitchen. And so, but yeah, like that's such a political way to answer this. Just say you deserved it and you want it, and you're the chump chump. No, I'm not gonna say that. (laughs) Okay, fine. I said it. All I would say, I will. I'm kidding, by the way. No, but I will say this. I walking into the finale, like the finale, like cook off. I knew I was gonna win. Like. I was like a little nervous, you know, because I was like, is it enough? Did I do enough? There were a few parts that I like really messed up on. And I was like, maybe those errors were going to prevent this from happening for me. But like intuitively, let's talk about our intuition again. Intuitively, like I called both of my mom, my my mom, my dad and my best friend. I told them all that morning. I was like, I'm just going to let you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm winning this. Like I'm winning. And they, my mom, like to this day, both my mom, my dad, they get goosebumps every time we talk about it. They're like, you called us that morning. You're like, that you said you were going to win it, like that you, like you knew you were going to win it. I was like, I knew I'm a very spiritual, spiritual person. When I listen to that intuition and I pray and like, it's not that God comes down and talks to me, but like, I, I like intuitively feel and know, and I get a knowing of something. And, and that's just a part of like who I am as a human being is like really trying to connect deeper, which is why I choose not to drink alcohol and do sobriety challenges from time to time. But I fucking knew I was going to win it. And Mariah knew. She told me in the elevator before we even went out for that final judge, that judgment, she was like, you won on the elevator. So the thing is, it's like, I'm not going to sit here and say I deserved it more than anyone else, but I knew going into that challenge. I was like, I knew at the end of the, at the end of it, I was going to win. But hearing the words and like when it actually happened was like, I blacked out. Like I was like, holy <laughs> shit. I cannot believe it. I can, but I can't. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. No, and you're but- right. Like I, you shouldn't say you deserve it. Or nobody should say it because we can't judge on what, who deserves what. But yeah, yeah that's, I think that's freaking cool that like, that like you, you're in tune enough to know that, but also very gutsy and risky to think that way. At least where i where i feel like i'm very much if i think something's gonna go like i'm like oh it's it's a done deal unless it's a done deal i don't feel like it's a done deal because then i'm like ah, i just jinxed myself 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have that fear also, but, but yeah, Ruel was amazing and you're not wrong for wanting him to win. Like he's so great. Like he's. But Pia, let's stick back to the fact that I wanted him to win because I knew you had, I felt, I felt like you, you had the talent to, to do whatever you wanted, you know, yeah. without even knowing you. Yeah. So just watching the show. So. I appreciate you saying that. Well, let's end with this because I, I, like I said, I don't want to keep it too long, and I want to stay okay. You don't want it to be too long, too hard, too fast, right? I, I do joke about having. I hate editing two-hour episodes, but I love having three to four-hour conversations, and I've had that. Yeah, I, I enjoy that, but I also have to respect y'all's time. Yeah. So the thing about me is, I talk too much. <laughs> no, but you've I you've talked perfectly enough with uh the yeah, stuff you I, said. Like I really I really felt I felt inspired. So Well, I just want to thank you for asking me to be on this podcast. Um, you know, I think that you have a great way of a great sense of humor and personality, and I hope that this goes long term for you and you get to reach all your wildest dreams with this, whichever, whatever that may be. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I was trying to make a joke with that and I, I, I lost it as a, as you were saying that, cause that's nice words. And then I, I take, I'm really bad at compliment taking. I'm going to cry, ah. but, but let's end, let's end with two questions. Okay. Uh, first one, how has your, besides the money prize and the, the, the one-on-one or do you like you still keep in contact with them? Yeah. So I had a one-year mentorship with all three judges. I had four months with Naisha that came and went. I have four months with Richard Blaze right now. And then I have four months with um, Gordon Ramsay. And the dreamy the, Gordon Ramsay. The dreamy Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> he, he's a great looking guy, honestly. He's tall too. He's taller than I ever thought he was, but he's really, really sweet. His personality is amazing. So I have four months with him at the end of the year. And but life post show is actually like kind of hard for me, you know, going from an extreme change of like the the grind and the hustle and the everyday, like getting up early in the morning and working hard and like trying to like because I, you know, got more into private chefing and doing private dinners and everyday chefing for people like rich people. It was hard to go from, you know, paycheck to paycheck, the hustle and bustle. And then leave this show, you know, filming for the show and not being able to tell anybody what had just happened. If I won the show, if I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know when I was going to get paid. I was like, I, I had to go back to that lifestyle knowing that what just happened was really, really hard for me. And then I, lo- I ended up losing a friend during the show, like um, to suicide. She took her life. And so I was also battling that while I was on the show, which made it even harder so I didn't have that time to really process everything. So post-show, I took it really hard, um, just that transition in life. And I had to get back on track and to reconnect and be regrounded. So it was really hard for me. But post-finale, the one everyone knew like about me winning the show, the world knew. Um, things, obviously, like all the opportunities came. But most of all, the most valuable opportunity that I've ever been given has been the opportunity to represent indigenous people and have 
them call me and ask me to come talk to their students and to come be on their reservation and learn, you know, food, the, the food sovereignty and like the food, indigenous food ways. And just that re-education of my, for myself of relearning information that was taken away from us. So that's been the biggest prize of all of it, because that's information that's going to, that's going to surpass me, that that's going to be handed down from yeah. generation to generation. So that's the biggest prize that I could ever ask for in this lifetime. That's cool. And it's very, uh, I don't know what the word is, honorable or just very good, yeah. I guess, for yeah. lack of a better term. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I should say that your Instagram life looks amazing. So. Thanks. It is. My life is amazing. <laughs> it is. I, I, I have the freedom to do whatever I want and it's amazing. I wish the same freedom for so many people. Perfect. So final question, but before I get to that, where can people find you and get more information on you and all the good stuff? So I, I predominantly use Instagram as my social media outlet. I do have a Instagram and what's it called? I do have a TikTok. So I have Instagram, I have TikTok, and I have a YouTube channel. If you watch the YouTube channels, you can learn more about indigenous food ways and the teachings and just the history of our food. And um, so, yeah, so it's at Chef Piet on all those platforms. Perfect. And with the power of editing, it showed up somewhere here and it's in the descriptions. And final question. Yes. Do you have a too hard, too fast story that you feel comfortable sharing with us? Either either time you got too drunk to function, some cautionary tells, uh, a funny story, so maybe something that happened to you in the kitchen, anything you feel comfortable sharing. Oh man, I had a um, I do have a funny story. It's um, I actually had one I was just telling the other day about that was really funny. Okay, so too hard, too fast would be it's not what you think, but it's I was on a boat. And I was as a chef, like sailing between two islands and the captain, uh, it was in the middle of the night, wasn't paying attention. I was in the, in the down under area, like cooking in the kitchen. And I was like cooking lobster and we hit this. He's going too hard and too fast. <laughs> he hit this fucking coral reef Ooh. and just, you know, like right down and the motor on the back of the boat broke off so we got stranded out in the middle of the ocean between maui and oahu for six hours we had to be um emergency rescued from the um coast guard and the guy that was on the boat was the super like wealthy like eight-year-old australian cowboy like he was a fucking hoot and super inappropriate dude just said whatever he wanted when he wanted. And he's like so rich, whatever. But he had a bad like hip. So we couldn't get him off the boat because the boat was too rocky. Uh -huh. It was like swaying back and forth. So they were going to have to do an emergency airlift. And finally, he was like, you know what? I he won medals for swimming, I guess, back in Australia. And so he's like, I'm just going to jump off this boat and I'm going to save and rescue myself. So he did. He jumped off the boat. The, the Coast Guards couldn't save him. So, um, someone ended up getting in the water and like getting a little, like a little, not jet skis, those little water boogie thingy. I don't know what they're yeah. called. And they're like dragging him across the, the fucking ocean over to the lifeguard boat or the coast guard boat that rescued us. And he looks up at the coast guard and he's like, Hey mates, 
thanks for nothing. And he was like, fucking bloody bastards. It's your job to save my life. And you couldn't even do that. But it was absolutely fucking terrifying. Cause I was like, this is, this is how I die. Like in the middle of the damn ocean, like sailing between two islands. But now we can look back at it and laugh of like how funny that guy was. But that would be my story about too hard, too fast. And that stupid ass captain that fucking hit the coral reef. Yeah. You, you had so, a little mini Titanic moment. Yeah. So that's my story. I appreciate it. That's a too hard, too fast story right there. Uh, Your shirt says indigenous. Yeah. So I actually um, designed this shirt myself. So here in the little O is a medicine wheel. So, yeah, this is my indigenous shirt. So where do people get it? I sell these on my website at pietsplate.com. Nice. Nice. Perfect. Um, I don't sell any of mine stuff. So not yet. (laughs) Not yet. But for guests, it's not much. But it's a little gift, so if you send me where I can mail you, uh, this is yours. You got two koozies and a little cartoon George. Yay! I need koozies, so that's perfect. It's a perfect Perfect. gift. So you just tell me where to send, and I'll send it. Okay, well. (laughs) Uh, Not right here, (laughs) but like message me or something. I will, I will, yeah. (laughs) Perfect. And then, uh, and that's it. That's, we've just gone too hard, too fast with the Chef Champ, the next level. Chef. Chef. That's where I I said it wrong. The next level chef champ. Uh, The first ever next level winner. The very first. You can't take that away for nothing, man. Oh, not for nothing. (laughs) Not for nothing, I say. Uh, (laughs) But I appreciate you being on here. I would love if you ever have time to make time for Too Hard Too Fast. I would love to have you back on. Uh, Maybe we can talk mess on season two. But uh, with that said, remember, dare to be you, dare to be weird. Bye. Bye.